build compelling real-time apps quickly and scale them globally with the PubNub real-time network. Only PubNub delivers the core building blocks needed for any real-time application. Find out for yourself by signing up for free today. Visit PubNub.com. Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing, the most trusted podcast dedicated to the new business of location. It is time for This Week in Location-Based Marketing. This is episode number 145, recorded live August 30th, 2013. My name, Rob Woodbridge from Untether.tv, located in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. With me, as always, as always, <laughs> from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. There you go. Asif Khan from the uh, Location-Based Marketing Association. Yes, and for those of you who don't know what this is, say you're new. Say you haven't been here for the other 144 episodes. This is the place you come to once a week, consistently, for 145 consecutive weeks to find out what is happening in the location marketing world, the contextualized marketing world, some of the little mobile marketing world jammed into there, business, insight, analysis, all jammed into one hour, sometimes even less than an hour. We got guests. Today we got Nora Young from CBC, host of Spark and author of the virtual self. We've got Chuck Martin's mobile minute talking about, hey, what is the biggest threat to your mobile and location business? Well, you're gonna have to listen. We've got our app of the week, which is Co Everywhere, once also known as, or previously known as Block Avenue. Six insane stories, our resource of the week, all coming up. That's why you come here each and every week. And the only thing we ask of you out there in listening or viewing land, you, I'm talking to you right now, you, is you go wherever you found this thing. I don't care where it is. There's a star rating system. It could be out of five. It could be out of 10. And a little commenting system. Wherever you got this podcast for, wherever you are looking at this from, please go and review this. We would love it if you just gave us a little star reviewing. We would appreciate it. It is our currency. It's what we get paid in to be able to bring you these stories. So what are you waiting for? Go do it. Please, 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 please. All right, Asif. What's All going right. on with the Location-Based Marketing uh, Association, buddy? You got some stuff. We got we always got stuff, and it's uh, <laughs> September uh, is right around the corner now. Cannot so there's, believe it. There's there's plenty going on, um, and uh, a bunch of things. I mean, September the tenth in particular is uh, has been on my calendar for a little while, and that is the launch of the newest LBMA chapter in Dallas. Uh, Going to be a phenomenal evening. Fantastic panel. AT and T, Millennial Media, Michael Stores, Seven Eleven, American Airlines. All these guys are on the panel. It's going to be crazy. Um, so yeah, and, and I was just looking at some of the attendees coming out like uh, JC Penny and Neiman Marcus and all these guys are going to be in the crowd and agency people and yeah, excited about that. So if you're in Dallas or you can get to Dallas September the 10th in the evening, 6 to 9 p.m. at the Marketing Arm. We'd like to see Wicked. you there. Uh, and then the following week, uh, I'm going to be uh, in Cologne for an LBMA event as part of uh, mobile uh, uh, mobile. M days or mobile days as they call it over there. Um, so that'll be interesting to see uh, what's going on uh, in that uh, part of the world. And then the week after that, I'm not going to be there, but the Atlanta <laughs> chapter is having an event on the 25th, and uh, uh, that's sponsored by Digital Element. So get out there if you're in Atlanta on the 25th and uh, see what's going on. And that's just a that's just a fraction of what that's September looks like. That's just a fraction, like. yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't envy you for this month, and we will continue to do these wherever Asif lands. You know, Wi-Fi dependent, lighting dependent, you'll get the content. You know, it just might be choppy. Yeah. How's that? Yeah. So a big month for the LBMA. And if you can make it out to those, do it. And if you want to know what else they're doing, just go to thelbma.com forward slash events and you will find out what is going on. Boy, and there's not, it's just a little bit going on. Just a little bit. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, we do this uh, every week. Uh, a mobile minute. I take the best mobile minute from the previous week and I jam it into this because it's so relevant to you. And this is Chuck Martin talking about the disconnect between location marketing and the biggest threat to your mobile strategy. This is it. So watch this and you will learn and then you'll be surprised as to what you think, what the biggest threat is. So here, Chuck Martin with our mobile minute. Welcome back to another Mobile Minute. 
Despite our best efforts, sometimes we can't marry the mobile world with the terrestrial world at all, can we? You just had a recent experience, Chuck. Why don't you talk about it? Yeah, I was in Dallas, um, which I, I fly through quite a lot, and, and I was staying at the at the Hilton near the airport. And I use Foursquare. I'm a, a diehard Foursquare check-in person. So I, I checked in, of course. And this time I got a deal. It said, hey, you want a free buffet breakfast? And I had the time. It was 6, 6.15 in the morning. And the, the shuttle to the airport wasn't leaving until 6.30. So I said, free buffet breakfast? What the heck? I, so I take a quick drive to walk over to the restaurant. I show them the coupon on my phone. And, and the server says, what's that? I said, it's a coupon for a free restaurant. She said, well, that, we don't take that kind of coupon. I don't know what that is. Uh, so she goes to see the manager. This one for quite a while. And the manager comes out and says, well, you have to go to the front desk to get a, a real coupon. I said, well, this says it's a coupon right here. And your hotel actually did this coupon. And I said, have you heard of Foursquare? She said, oh, yes. I said, well, here's the Foursquare coupon. She said, well, take it to the front desk and they'll give you a real coupon. Anyway, it went on like this till about 6.29. My shuttle was leaving at 6.30, so I skipped breakfast that day. Oh, Chuck, it sounds like this is a human problem, like you eliminate humans and we don't have a problem. What can companies do to make sure that their humans know what to do with this kind of stuff? Yeah, it, this this actually predates mobile. It, that's, it's a real challenge because the the staffs at, at companies, at retail, especially at, 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 at servers and restaurants, there's a lot of turnover. And to keep that training level high and to let them know that you've got a, a particular pro, a project running right now or, or, or a campaign that says you get free deals, um, you basically, what what I see happening is the consumer, the mobile consumer is actually retraining the sales force more effectively than a lot of retailers are training them themselves. So humans, that is the biggest threat to your mobile strategy. Agreed. Who would have thought? We just get rid of all the humans? <laughs> and by humans, I then mean... Then we don't need a mobile strategy, I exactly. guess. Exactly. Uh, you know yeah. what? Robots are smarter, but uh, that is... A, it's astounding how often that happens. And we've all had these experiences where you go into Starbucks and you say, look, I'm the mayor. Remember those days? I'm the mayor. And they look yeah. at you like you're crazy. No, you're not. Get this crazy guy out. The mayor. This is not the mayor. I've seen the mayor. So um, it, it helps along with it. And, and Chuck made a... You know, his very observation... Great observation is that, you know, in the quick service industry, in the restaurant industry... Uh, turnover is so high. So you've got to be able to somehow get this into, into your employees' heads that this is an important facet of your business and they have to know mm. what this means. So thank you for Chuck for doing that. Thanks for uh, allowing us to put that on this show to bring it to you. All right, we have uh, great news. So we've been following these guys for quite some time. We've been kept up to date by Tony quite a bit around yes. what these guys are doing. And our app of the week is a special app, we think, uh, and, uh, you know, we really appreciate the fact that uh, Tony has kept us up to date on this stuff. This is uh, a company that was formerly known as Block Avenue has become whom and what? They become Co Everywhere, um, or C-O Everywhere uh, is how that's spelled. Um, yeah, so Tony, uh, Tony Longo, Dan Adams, the uh, two of the founders of, of, uh, of this company, um, you know, it, it was about understanding neighborhoods and, and Places and, and you know activity within those neighborhoods, and primarily as a kind of an online play uh, initially, and now they've launched this uh, this mobile app called Co Everywhere, and it basically aggregates content from Foursquare and Yelp and Twitter and um, Facebook and Instagram and everything, kind of pulls it together. But one of the cool things about this is uh, kind of like Banjo in some ways. It's it's really about you know, following the conversation and, and the content around a particular event or location. Um, and, and in this particular case, you can actually, within the app, you can draw your own geofence, so to speak, uh, and then it'll, it'll pull together all the content that's coming from these, these sources that I, I just mentioned, you know, that, uh, that's happening right now within that uh, geofence that you just drew. So uh, I like it. Uh, I like the, uh, the design of it uh, as well um, in terms of the, uh, the UI. It's, it's pretty cool. What are your thoughts, Rob? Yeah, I, well, I, I was playing with it uh, over the last couple of days when it came out. To, and, uh, you know, what I, what I do love about it is that unique interface where I can say, like, I want to geofence the mall down the street. I want to geofence a restaurant over here basically by drawing a circle around yeah. it and, and pulling all the tweets. Um, 
And I was doing it over Yankee Stadium because I was, uh, you know, trying to get the buzz of what's going on inside of Yankee and around Yankee Stadium and around the Yankee fan. And, and I, like, I like this, you know. I think that you can really do well with this by tying in traditional media. So you've got all of the, you know, the nervous system and Twitter and Facebook and all these other posts and Yelp and everything and you jam it in. But it would be great if I get local news stories as well, like uh, mm -hmm. my local newspaper for that neighborhood. Any any news story or any crime reporting or anything like that. I think that this, they have a really great opportunity to have, a, have an amazing platform to give you a snapshot of that area. And, uh, you know, they use it as an example is that, you know, if you want to go someplace for uh, on a vacation, you know, circle that place and, and uh, listen to what's going on in there at this point in, in time. And I, so, I, you know, I think they've they've stumbled onto something here that is of uh, is of tremendous value. I'd say much more value even than what they were doing with Block Avenue. Um, I think easier to scale. I, I agree with that. And I think that, you know, uh, I like the news angle that you're talking about, too, because yeah. I think it's in fact, if I think about the opportunity for a platform like Co Everywhere or Banjo, uh, in terms of monetization, I, I think there's a lot that can be done by connecting this to something like a patch, something like a you know a local community news uh, conglomerate that has you know uh, you know all these little papers and stuff, you know a, a news corp, uh, you know um, you know up here up here up here in, in Toronto, Four Star, which yeah. has all these kind of community newspapers everywhere. Um, you know, so I think things like that become really interesting from a content, uh, you know, perspective in terms of, you know, just adding more value, uh, as far as sources and inputs, uh, into the platform. So congrats to, uh, to the guys, Tony, Dan, yeah, co everywhere. Well done. And if you're interested, just go to co everywhere.com, C O everywhere.com. I believe this is only available on iOS at this moment. Um, but worth worth a download if you're interested in uh, in staying on top of what's going on in a specific location. But uh, yeah, and you know this is what I love about it is that Tony was was tenacious in getting in touch with us and and made sure that we knew what was going on all the way yep. through. And and uh, so do what Tony does if you've got a product like this that is of interest to us or you think would be of interest to us. We'll tell you if it's not. But um, congratulations to these guys and uh, all the best and uh, continued success. CoEverywhere.com. All right, back to the uh, regularly scheduled show. That was our app. So co everywhere. Um, let's jump into the news. We got six great stories. We got Nora Young uh, in between talking about uh, the quantified self and location. Uh, awesome, awesome conversation I had with Nora. Um, but our first story, we have to start. Man, we have to start with Foursquare. We have to start with Foursquare. They are coming out now. This is in limited release only on Android right now. But I'm going to assume that this is going to be rolled out because they made a huge deal. Something called proactive recommendations. So this is about finding places that you never knew existed, finding recommendations of places that you never knew existed without launching the app and without checking in. So there's no action required of you. You're in a city. You land in a city. It'll tell you the three best places to go. You're in a restaurant. It'll tell you the best meal in theory. Um, and uh, that is what they call proactive recommendations. What do you think of this move by Foursquare, Asif? Well... <laughs> no okay perfect no. I, I'm, I'm mixed on this I'm mixed on this so okay. I, I do like the idea of proactive recommendations I, I think um, you know the de-emphasizing the check-in uh, is something that Foursquare had to do um, so so I'll start by saying that's that's a good move to kind of shift away from that because it, you know as I've said on the show many many times I still use Foursquare and I and I do check in at places, but for me, it's about a historical log of where I've been and what I've done there. Not anything about deals or discounts or you know any of that kind of stuff. So when we talk about proactive recommendations, um, it, it depends on you know do you how, how much granularity I think in control of the types of recommendations you're going to get because uh, and the frequency uh, of those recommendations because in some respects this is like. AT&T shop alerts, yep. right? Except that it's in an app, right? It's it, you know, it's it's like an SMS push notification platform in some ways that's just sending you stuff when you happen to be in in an in an area based on a geofence. Um, but at least with with uh, with the AT&T and the O2 and all those kinds of programs, when you sign up and you and you opt in, you have control to say, I only care about communications from these specific brands. Or these categories uh, of of products and services, um, so I don't know. It, it could end up being spammy, depending on the frequency and and all of that, right? And 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 the fit, quite frankly, the relevance to that particular user. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I they 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 wrote about this in their blog at uh, blog.foursquare.com. 
And uh, they talked about it. They, they referenced this ill-fated uh, uh, service that they were going to launch a couple of years ago called Radar. Yes. And and uh, you and I both love this. And and I, I think the failing of Foursquare here, let's be quite honest, is, and if, you know, this this just sounds like a broken record, is that they haven't done what Twitter's done with their infrastructure. They've still allowed so many people to hug off of the data and not require them to come into the app. So I don't spend any time. In fact, I told you, this, I don't have Foursquare installed on my phone, yet I still manage to check into Foursquare. And I still manage to leverage Foursquare's data in, mm. a, in an app called Moves, Right, that allow yep. me to at least track where I've been without getting into Foursquare. Right, so I I don't use the app. So this kind of proactive recommendation doesn't mean anything to me, right? Because I'm not in the right. app. Their goal should be to get me to download that app and use that app on a regular basis, daily if if at best. And and doing this isn't going to do it. But yeah. Radar was that thing. Radar was that thing that I said, like, oh, you know what? I, I'm going to go to Chicago. I need to remember this restaurant. They have to get me mm -hmm. inside of the application right now. They're not doing it. So I don't think that this works for the people that are not involved in, in uh, using Foursquare. Now, I've talked to a lot of people. They freaking love Foursquare. And I scratch my head and I say, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I, like, I don't get it. Yeah, and, and the other thing that I – one of the features that I liked um, that we haven't heard anything about from Foursquare, or at least I haven't in a while, is they, they used to have this kind of uh, online-to-app driver where, like, the Save to Foursquare button where yeah. you're reading an article somewhere about a restaurant on a website somewhere, uh, and you could just hit a little button, and, and then it would, it would push that into your Foursquare app, and when you happen to be near that restaurant, you would get the notification. Yep, yep. See, that's where recommendations and notifications – becomes really interesting because yeah. it's stuff I've already identified yes. that I'm in, I'm interested in, right? So um, I'd like to see some of that come back into the uh, in the platform or some emphasis if it's still there. I don't even know if it's still around. I haven't yeah. seen it on any websites anywhere. So. Well, no, and that's what, uh, I, I mean, that was the input for Radar. So you would be like, uh, yeah. you'd be in a, on an airplane, like you spend a lot of time in the airplane and you'd read the magazine and there would be a profile yeah. of a restaurant in Chicago and you basically tap your phone, scan a QR code, whatever it would be, but it would yeah. save it to your Foursquare favorites and then you, it would remind you the next time you're in there. And I think that, yes. you know, so it had the combination of input and then the Radar, which was basically proximity. And, yes. uh, Absolutely. And they said that, you know, the problem was that the battery was a huge drain. And so this only decreases basically 0.7% uh, per hour as a result of being on. But, it, you know, it compounds it because I have moves and I have Bluetooth and I have this and I have that. And all of a sudden my battery lasts like four hours instead of seven or eight. And uh, so anyway, Foursquare trying to trying to turn around what they're doing, turning over a new leaf in this thing called proactive recommendations. I, you know, not not unique, and certainly Yelp could turn this on, as you say, in a in a matter of a moment, and Google yep. could do the same thing, and Google will because they're documenting actually all of the menus, like in Manhattan, yes. the restaurant menus. So, so you, you can't tell me that they're not going to proactively push that out to you. So, yeah, this is still an uphill battle. The other side of this, I heard last piece on 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 Foursquare is that Yahoo, kind of sniffing around. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely a lot of talk going on about strategic investment in Foursquare, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, which which basically means a precursor to an acquisition. Uh, it means we're haggling over value yeah. right now. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Um, well, it, so yeah, we'll see. Okay, right? well, I mean, I, yeah, we, we did say Marissa was still buying stuff, right? So yeah. Yeah, this is a big one. So uh, yeah. Foursquare trying to turn over a new leaf. Maybe they'll be a part of Yahoo. That's a good way to turn over a new leaf. All right, let's see if our right. second story. Uh, I want you to watch this video because it explains everything. This is an NFC happy table in Singapore. Take a look at this. It's about a minute and 45 seconds, and it explains everything. And uh, we have not much to say about this other than super freaking awesome. I wish I was a kid. To watch adults, this. McDonald's is just a restaurant. To kids, this is my playground. To adults, this is just a table. To kids, this is my cute little tiny house. Or maybe a treasure island. It's whatever their imagination wants it to be. So to please our smallest customers, we reimagined our restaurants in a big way. Happy Meal presents The Happy Table. Step up to any table in McDonald. Hold your NFC mobile over it. And voila, the table becomes McDonald's land. And your mobile becomes a fun little card. Zip around McDonald land to collect burgers, harvest apple pies, and fight baddies. 
all to help Ronald organize a party for the folks of McDonald Land. Careful though, don't drive off the table. Here's the science behind the magic. Near field communication plus Skeletrix design. We programmed NFC smart tags to work like different parts of a track, much like Skeletrix tracks. The NFC tags are then stuck to the underside of the tables, so when you hold your mobile over it, the ordinary looking table magically turns into McDonald land, with each tag telling you where to drive your little car. And during the campaign, we rewarded the fastest track times with apple pie, sundaes, and other treats. The success of the first game has led to the development of new games, including Whack-A-Mole and Battleship. The Happy Table by Happy Meal. Making mealtime a happier time. What can you say? See, that just, it, it fills me with joy. It, it does, right? Um, I want to do, I want to play with it. We, we all know McDonald's, uh, you know, at its, at its best is about, you know, Happy Meals and kids and toys and, you know, it's all about getting people in there with fun and gaming, right? And this just takes it to a whole other level. So, you know, I love, I love the innovation uh, or the use of technology. I mean, it's not really innovation. It's, it's just taking what's out there and applying it in unique ways. Uh, to do do things, you know, that uh, just get people connected. And, you know, what I like about this, and I talk about this all the time, whether it's, um, you know, the stuff that we sh we talked about a few months ago with the uh, the eMark guys flying around ships with uh, Wi-Fi, running QR codes with sunlight and getting people. This is the same kind of thing. It It's about human emotional connections. It's not about technology. It's about, you know, there, there, there's, it's, it's, it's valuable and relevant because you're connecting with people at an emotional level. Um, and, it, and it's driving that. And so, you know, the NFC piece is, it's, it's just, you can, you can stick it on any table and, and create a game, right? And create an app that can do this kind of stuff. So I, I think this is something that's, that, that's a, it's a big start for, for them. Um, and I could see this rolling out everywhere for, that McDonald's operates. Why not? It ends up being fairly cheap. Like you're, you, the technology to activate yeah. it is very cheap. And then you're, you're just building the interactive immersive experience that, that, you know, brings you closer to your brand, to the brand. And, uh, Man, yeah, gonna... and, and 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 kudos to DDB, the agency uh, who came up with this idea for brilliant. them. Um, I mean, just brilliant stuff. So, so our third story: uh, Asif Ubimo raising a couple of million bucks. They are a location-based mobile audience targeting company at ubimo.com. Uh, why is this so significant? It's significant because of similar conversations that we've had in the last few weeks with about Place IQ and Placed. It's significant because what's happening is is the advertising industry is realizing that location is extremely relevant, extremely valuable, um, and they're they're demanding that you know there be you know better metrics, better ways to target, better ways to show that 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 the ad targeting works and and deserves to be a a, a premium ad uh, dollar that's being uh, put on this kind of targeting. And so it's platforms like Ubimo that are, are going to make that happen. So, you know, this is about uh, pulling data together, but it's it's about you know measuring effectiveness of that that ad targeting data and making sure that you know that those agencies and those media buyers are actually able to do something effective and, and to prove to the client that yeah, this stuff works. So that that's why I like this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, at its core, it does a lot of stuff. I mean, it, it's you know it, it's wide in its scope, but. Yeah. For me, that's the value. It's it's about you know better ad targeting and performance metrics, and and not so much about geofencing, right? As we, we talk about geofencing, is is maybe a, you know I think a lot of people have struggled with geofencing because you're only taking into consideration proximity to the to to a location or that that you're in the location, and this takes into consideration uh, making sure that you have the right audience context and timing. So they take. Um, you know, venue information, ongoing events at the at the location, weather, mm -hmm. demographic data, um, type of uh, location, whether it's uh, you know an office or residential uh, location, or commercial. It allows clients to uh, set distances, so you can you can adjust the distances. And uh, and uh, you know, it's it's unique enough. I like the weather aspect. I like it all. Um, and uh, these guys are uh, you know well on their way with two million dollars. And um, yeah, and. Um yeah, I'm not sure what the secret sauce is because uh, I understand there's a patent uh, pending around this, and they're calling this translocal targeting uh, is the terminology that they're using. So, uh, we'll, you know, I got to dig into that a bit more and kind of see what uh, what the patent specifically is. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, 
congrats to uh, to the team over there, to uh, Rami and Gilad and, and all those guys as well. Yeah, two million bucks. Maybe trans because it's like transmedia, trans local. You know, big, small. Like, but we all know there's money in local. And you know what? Surprisingly enough, our fifth story. Uh, you know what? A lot of people are waking up to the realization that there's money in local uh, in location. Mm-hmm. All right, so Ubimo, that's Ubimo, U-B-I-M-O dot com. If you're interested in finding a little bit more about those guys raising two million bucks, good job. All right. All right, first three done. We're going to jump into Nora Young. For those of you who do not know Nora Young, you are probably not Canadian. You probably do not listen to the CBC. She is a host of a very popular technology uh, show called Spark she is kind of the way she describes what she does with spark is she sits on the fringe of the fringe and she brings in some of the most unique stories tells it in a very canadian way um and uh, it's where i heard, first heard about raspberry pi it's where i first heard about a lot of the technology that has come out uh th- this is fringe stuff that she thinks that over the next as she says next two to five years will kind of emerge to the center and we're and and uh, she's been doing this for seven years it's an amazing 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 show you can get this through iTunes or any podcast software, it's called Spark, and it's uh, look for CBC, um, and uh, you will not be sorry about this. It's a great, 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 great podcast, uh, great show. She's also the author of The Virtual Self, and it talks about how these devices that we carry around uh, are going to impact the way that we collect data about ourselves, right, and the way that mm-hmm. it's being used in a number of a variety of ways. And we're going to be talking a little bit about here about how it uh you know location plays into this but we're really going to be talking about the quantified self it's fascinating this is a long episode that i did with her this will be available this coming thursday 6th of september um so if you're after the 6th of the september this is up there on untether.tv you can hear the whole episode but i implore you you might as well go buy her book it's worth it really really worth yeah. it so here's uh, awesome awesome speaker and uh oh, yeah. you know just super well respected up here in canada for sure great 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 mind so here is uh, nora young talking about the quantified self throughout your, your research for the book and from what you've seen since the book the book was published obviously you know as you said earlier there's been a pull from from mobile right you know the during the internet days it was a push you had to convince somebody that they needed a website you had to convince somebody that they needed to get online but with mobile we kind of woke up one day and there were five thousand five billion connected devices around the world and uh smartphones accelerating and everybody using experimenting so obviously this has had an, had a huge influence on on the way that we use these to self-track and and to to create our virtual self uh how how big is this phenomenon you know how how far does this stretch is this a a, like a a north american thing or is it are we seeing this around the world well i mean one of the things that i think is the most interesting in the book um is uh, uncovering research about using cell phone data in particular in the developing world and so in this case we're we're generally not talking about smartphones we're talking about ordinary feature phones but um, there's some really interesting research that's been done by people like Nathan Eagle and, and people out of MIT into the idea of like well if you can anonymize the data about where people are what are some of the things that you can learn and so they've used it to do things like um, track and not even track but predict where malaria outbreaks are going to happen based on the movement of anonymized uh, cell phone data and this is a feature of how quickly cell phones have been spread through the developing uh, world so you take a country like Kenya for instance and cell phone penetration rates amongst people I think between the ages of about 15 and 60 are very close to 100 percent so you're talking about suddenly this location-based data being uh, you know, potentially very useful precisely in context where more formal information might not be available. Or there has been incredible use of cell phone data in Haiti uh, after the crisis there to track things like uh, the spread of cholera and, and where people are going and that kind of thing. And obviously, I mean, it raises huge questions about privacy. Sorry, there's a plane going overhead. Uh, huge questions about privacy and how you protect people's data and whether anonymous data that can really truly be anonymous or whether um, there are risk factors there and I think there, the research suggests that there are risk factors there but I think you're looking at something that might be in fact locally transformative once you start to think about what you can use this information for. 
And I mean, we're seeing this, you know, from a commercial standpoint. A lot of people are trying to trying to take the location data and uh, and use it to sell goods or you know to geofence and and uh, or or to you know to get trends, traffic trends, and and people trends. And and you know, when you when you look at what happens in developing nations versus what we're doing in North America, do, do you do you do you I don't know. Do you feel kind of embarrassed, like I do, about how how we're kind of superficially trying to use this data to line our pockets versus what they're actually doing in in developing nations? You know, from that is that tracking the spread of malaria uh, to also uh, you know education and training and and uh, and learning where where people would never mm -hmm. have learned before. Do you feel kind of superficial being here? Uh you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm very excited about the more sort of altruistic things, but but I don't know if I feel. I mean, I think as long as those commercial relationships are transparent and um, on the up and up, there you know, there's real there isn't a pro I don't see a problem with it. Um, and I think the really interesting space, what I think from a commercial point of view, uh, is when you look at things like ways. If you look at the potential to co actually combine a useful service to individuals with you know something that potentially could make money for the people who design it with something that actually has a social benefit that i think is a really really interesting space because what i think is going to happen culturally is that as people start to track their data more they're going to start to become a little bit more proprietary about their data right i mean once you realize oh i can learn all these interesting things about how i read and my exercise patterns and how much i weigh and what i eat and all this other kind of stuff I think people are going to start to think about if it's, if it's worth something to me, what is it worth to other people? What is our data collectively worth? And I think the really great space is if you can think, and there are a lot of really interesting examples of this, of taking something that has um, an individual value, a commercial value, and a social value. And that, I think, is really going to be the sweet spot as people start to think about the value that their data has. That, I think, is, has huge potential from a commercial point of view. Do you think that, uh, I mean, I, I'm one of these guys that when they ask me for my postal code at Ikea, I always say, okay, so what's in it for me, right? Uh, yes. You know, I, I'm going to give you some data that's very valuable to you, which is my postal code. It might be just one of the one billion you collect every year. Um, but uh, but I, I, I constantly think about it, right? I think, well, my, my data, that information is worth something. Um, so how do you think that this plays out when, when, when it, a lot of this stuff is collected anonymously, anonymously through the carriers, yeah. uh, through the browsers that you use, through the location tools that you use? I mean, I use an app called Moves. I rave about this app because while this tracks steps, Moves tracks places and locations and steps as well. But I use it to remember where I've been. But that data sits somewhere in Sweden in, in, you know, in the cloud. Uh, and at some point, it's going to be valuable to them. And I always, I constantly think, you know, am I going to be able to make a living off of my data at some point? Yeah. Like, do you think that'll happen? Well, there are people who are arguing for that kind of thing. Uh, Jaron Lanier's uh, latest book, uh, what the heck is it called? Who Owns the Future, I think it's called. He's arguing exactly that, that maybe it's the case that privacy's gone out the window, but... Um, maybe we can rejig the system so that we have a series of micropayments, for instance, um, that, uh, that can allow people, if not to make a living, at least can supplement their living doing that. So people are making that kind of argument. My feeling about it is that, you know, th there's a basic, there's nothing more inherently problematic in gathering data in exchange for a service than in being a television broadcaster and saying, okay, I agree to provide you programming and the quid pro quo is you agree to, you know, to be exposed to advertising, right? I mean, there's an implicit relationship there. And I think as long as those relationships are transparent, they're not, it's not problematic. The, the challenge, I think, is that, and then I'll talk about this in the book, is that we don't we're not yet in that world where we have um, transparent, clear rules about who's doing what with the data and so on. And partly that, I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think one reason that that's happening is because it's sort of in the nature of startup culture that you, you think, okay, let's think of the great idea and try and get users and then we'll figure out how to monetize it afterwards. And if you don't know what you want to do with the data, then it's pretty hard to have a transparent relationship about the data. I think that's one problem. Um, I think another problem is just, um, you know, and one of the people I talked to in the book, Ian Kerr talks about this, is that once we're relying only on the standard form contract, the I agree thing, you know, 
that's not really sufficient. We need a new, we need to recalibrate that relationship and what the nature of those um, contracts can be and should be. But then the other piece of the puzzle, I think, too, is that it's almost like a math problem, is that I don't think we quite even know what the math implications of all this stuff is. When you start to put together not just, you know, one data set, when you start to put together 18, 25, 1,000 data sets, what is uh, anonymous and what is not. And there's been some really interesting research that's been done um, precisely about this. I mean, you probably follow the, the Netflix example of where exactly. they, they had this thing where they, it was a contest to improve the algorithms to, to offer people um, uh, movie recommendations, and they released this huge anonymous, in quotes, data set of uh, users and researchers at the University of Texas were able to pair that with another data set and identify not everybody, but they were able to identify some people. So I think there are multiple layers that we have to get sorted out here. But I think the potential, you know, first of all, the, you know, the genie's out of the bottle, as it were, right, is pretty hard to sort of roll things back and say, hey, we're not going to do mobile, we're not going to track anything anymore because we're doing it. Um, but also, I think, uh, we just have to we have to think more clearly about it because that information can be very useful and it can make our communities run better. It can help us as individuals too. So I think we're we're just not. It's like I said before. The thing the situation is changing so quickly that the framework around it, in some ways, I think hasn't quite caught up with that. That is Nora Young from CBC and author of The Virtual Self. Do us a favor, go and check it out. If you need a link to it, it's available on uh, on Amazon. It's available in iTunes. It's available on hardcover, and it's available in now in in uh, paperback. But if you really want to support us, you can go to untether.tv. Look up the show notes for this. This is episode number one hundred forty-five. There will be a link, and it is an affiliate link to Amazon to her book. Uh, it's available on Kindle. It's available on anything. Please, please go and uh, support this. It's a great, great, great book. If you're interested in the space, Nora Young. There you go. All right, on to uh, story number six. I like these guys. California company called Xerus. Heard of them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the great company uh, within the sort of wireless infrastructure hardware world. Uh, and the story this week that uh, I pulled out is uh, they've teamed up with the... Uh, uh, and they um, uh, installed a bunch of their uh, Xerus wireless arrays at the Wentworth Club uh, for the BMW PGA Championship uh, that happened in May. So this is coming out after the fact kind of case study. But um, re really cool use of, of, of technology. We talk a lot on the show about indoor location and Wi-Fi in that context. Uh, and that comes up over and over again. But we don't talk about it very often in an outdoor event uh, like, a, like a golf uh, tournament. Um, and... You know, it's, uh, it requires a different type of equipment. Xerus is, is one of the leaders in that kind of uh, environment. But it's, it's what they did with it that's really interesting. So, it, so they set up this Wi-Fi network basically outdoors. And if you were there as a, as a fan, as an attendee uh, to watch this tournament, basically there, there's digital screens all over the place. They're streaming live content. They're pushing content to your mobile devices over this Wi-Fi network. You can uh, there's an app that you can track where your favorite players are on the course and like you know from a location perspective. I mean a lot of stuff just, but it comes down to just leveraging this network, right? So, you know once you've got a network in place, you can do a lot of things with it in terms of how you deliver content. And that's what I really liked about uh, what they're doing here is that combination of, you know, mobile devices, digital screens, you know, and all of it is you know, content being delivered across this network. Uh, yeah, I, that's, that's what I love about it. And, you know, I've talked about the, um, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn and the Brooklyn Nets and the way they did it. And up here in Canada, there was a company called Kangaroo TV for a long time that, that uh, they've changed their name and they were bought by the owner of the Miami Dolphins because of this, because they did outdoor stadium Wi-Fi and they followed, mm. uh, you know, the Le Mans, uh, basically uh, car racing in Europe and they offered the same thing. They had it, but they had a separate device that did something similar like this, like the Miami Dolphins still do this. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't not enabling viewers and enabling people that are at live events is part of it. Their heads are down already. You might as well give them something to do in that space. Yeah. And, uh, and if, you know, if they're not doing it with you, they're being distracted by somebody else. You know, somebody else might geofence that, that, uh, 
the you know the PGA Tour location, and you're going to be losing revenue. So um, absolutely, this is this is good, and I think Zerus, you know, I've had an opportunity to speak at a number of events with Zerus, and these guys are rock solid technology, and they're not just outdoors; they're indoor outdoors, and they can be find, found at Zerus. Uh, That's x i r r u s dot com. Zerus dot yeah, and just one other point too that I really liked. Uh, I was uh, rereading the notes here while you were talking, and the uh, so one of the things that they did on the I'm really, outside. I'm is, really glad you were paying attention to what I was saying. There, yeah, so. I, I heard it. I heard it all, Rob. <laughs> I heard it all. But uh, they uh, they uh, on the mobile app side, they're capturing uh, user preferences as well, and then they're actually using that data in real time to tailor the content and the sponsorship and the advertising that they're uh, that you know that's part of the of, of how they market this thing. So, I mean. Just so much all coming together in, in a single platform. I love it. Well, you know, it, it, it's true. When you've opened up yourself like you have, you paid money to go to an event like this. Like, we've all been there. We go to a concert, a rock concert, and we come back with a, with a $48 T-shirt, right, that we're never going to wear. But yet we bought it anyways, right? Why? Mm -hmm. Because they understand that the euphoria of the event opens up the wallet. And that's what we're saying is that the ability to capture that, a portion of that, target a portion of that through this kind of technology, through Wi-Fi, simple Wi-Fi, but enabling it through this, I think is amazing, 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 amazing. That's why I love Xerus. We should get them on. Great company. Xerus, sponsor this damn podcast, would you? Get on it. Yeah, they're done. All right. All right. Our fifth story, this is what we were talking about a little bit before. JDS Uniphase has, Asif, get ready, sit down, everybody. Pull over your car if you're listening to the podcast. Put the weight down if you're in the gym. Put the cleavers down if you're out in the, in the, in the garden gardening. Are you ready for this? This is, this is huge news. JDS Uniphase. Remember JDSU? JDS. Huge employment base in my city, Ottawa, until the implosion. Uh, they launched something called Location Insight Services. And guess what? Location it's going to be a big freaking business. There you go. And carriers should wake up to it. Carriers need to wake up to it. It's, they say it's going to be an $11 billion business by 2017. My goodness. Where have we been? What have we been <laughs> I doing? Know. I don't know. Um, what? This is a big company at the forefront of technology. And this is supposed to be news, man? It's supposed to be news, and you know, it's at the end of the day, they have to justify the acquisition. So they, they made an acquisition. JDS Uniphase made an acquisition back in February, March, or something along those lines. It took them this, it took them this long to justify yeah, they, that. They bought a company called Ariso, uh, A R I E S O, and so it's that technology. That was a location-based uh, software company uh, that was working with telecom networks and carriers, anyways. And uh, so they've taken that and they basically kind of tweaked it a little bit and rebranded it as this thing that they're calling Location Insight Services. Um, and, and, you know, all I can get from this really is that um, they're trying to distinguish location-based services and location insight services as two separate and distinct things. They're trying to create a category. This is what big companies do. Big companies go out there and they say, all right, you know that LBS thing? We missed the boat on that, apparently. So we're going to create something new. It's called Location Insight Services. Which, by the way, if you, if you say it, you know, phonetically, that's lies. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Lies, yeah. Um, and, and so this is how they describe it. I'm reading this straight from the thing here. Okay. Location, uh, a location insight service is a more advanced form of the existing real-time location-based services for individual subscribers. While LBS targets specific individuals to collect data, LIS never opts for subscriber-specific data. Oh, so generic content. Oh, generic I get content. it. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is basically the aggregation of anonymous content to yes. do what? Something that is based yeah. on, you know, this. Wow. Yes. So what we want to do is we yeah. want to get as we want to aggregate as much content as possible without a face. Is what they're saying. Yes. Because, you know, we don't need to know who people are. No. We don't need to know that stuff. So, you know, this, this seems to me, uh, you know, a, a justification of a, of a purchase and a trying to make a category when there isn't one. This is how I look at this. I, I'm just being. Yeah. Well, they don't sponsor yeah. the show. I would change my tune no. if they sponsored the show. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. I, this is something I, I don't understand is that but you know what I, I think that this is this is indicative of where we are in this and and uh, 
you know, I said it about uh, when we were talking about Nora, is this fringe piece is that, you know, I, I don't think that people understand the context to which we talk about this every day. We are living in this every day. We see the change that happens in every day in business. And when you are so big or so obtuse or so completely alienated from reality, which happens with large companies, it happens with, you know, um, hubris, hubr you know, entrepreneurs and CEOs with a little bit of hubris mm -hmm. that think they know everything. Ultimately, this is what happens is that you kind of put this out and you're like, uh, and, and people look up at this and say, Gee, where have you been for four years? Yeah. Where have you been? You get your head out of the sand, right? And and uh, th that's what's that's what's interesting about this. And, and um, they need help, buddy. They need help. Location, insight, services, lies. JDSU lies. Yes. Love it. All right. Big industry. All right, our last story, buddy. This is this is big. This is big. This is 7-Eleven investing in a company called Belly. We've talked about Belly often. They've contributed to a round with, uh, with uh, what is it, um, Andreessen Horowitz. This is a $12.1 million round with these guys. Um, that's, not, that's not even the big story in your idea. Like, this is a big story. 7-Eleven investing in a company uh, with Andreessen Horowitz. What is the big story here? Well... So for those who aren't familiar with Belly, because maybe you haven't listened to this show for a while or at all, and this is your first time. So Belly is a mobile location loyalty app. Initially, it was targeted at small, uh, you know, small businesses, retailers, and such. And you know, uh, the you know the the one two, you know two location restaurant chain or coffee shops and all that kind of stuff. You know, it, it, the digital version of the punch card, right? Effectively, is what Belly was. Uh, in a much more sophisticated way. They're really cool, cool app. And I met uh, Logan uh, Lahive, uh, the CEO, a few times at shows. Great guy. Now, $12.1 million, 7-Eleven stepping up to get involved in this. Why I think this is significant, it's, it's because I hearken this back to what we did with uh, Mondelez, Craft, Craft Foods, and the whole Mobile Futures program. Brands are waking up and realizing that they can't just wait for their agencies to come and, and pitch them great ideas. They got to go out and find the technology themselves that that's going to make them, you know, move forward and you know be front and center and be for, leading edge and you know innovating uh, at the forefront, you know, on their own. And so, you know, with, with Mondelez, that's an organization where Bonin said, "Hey, look, we want to go and find the best stuff, and and it's going to be the best fit for Oreo and Trident and all these brands, and we're going to bring it in." And we're going to do it. And we're going to run these pilots, and we're going to make it work. Awesome. Seven Elevens, in a different way, is saying the same thing. Look, we're creating a venture arm. Uh, we've Who got knew? a venture arm. Who knew? Right? We've got a venture arm, and uh, and we're going out, and we're going to invest in in companies like this. And and what I like about this is it's not just we're going to use this technology. We're going to own a piece of this technology, yeah. and we're going to see how this technology can you know benefit Seven Eleven beyond Seven Eleven, right? So. And I think you're going to see brands start to do that, where they, they realize that, yes, we're a distribution channel. Yes, we're a customer for Belly in this context. That's great. And it's a good starting point. And it's good for Belly, and it's good for 7-Eleven. Uh, but what 7-Eleven and or other organizations are realizing is, is if we take a piece of this thing, if we own this thing, um, you know, potentially we can you know sort of diversify our business beyond the convenience store businesses we can start to have you know to make revenue in other areas so to speak right so you know if belly can work with 711 and it's all its competitors and other retailers why shouldn't 711 benefit from that yeah i completely agree and and digital assets and data part of this whole thing and it's going to be huge the um what i love about this is that if you think about this in the big picture from an investment side is that um you know, Andreessen Horowitz, this is a Series B. Andreessen put $10 million into it for Series A. Series B is 12.1, split with 7-Eleven. And I think that now there's an opportunity for other brands. They should be looking at this, partnering with guys like Andreessen Horowitz. These guys are the most active investors in the Bay Area. These guys are the most active investors in mobile. They're they're investing in companies that are going to influence retail for, for quite some time to come. Why not partner with these guys? They're doing all the due diligence and the vetting of it. And basically... There's there's opportunity for other brands to invest into these things, and I, that's what's it's fascinating. And I just I can't believe that Seven Eleven has a venture arm. Where the hell was that been? Yeah, yeah, and, and I think we're just going to see more and more of this, right? I mean, uh, you know, in, in in some cases, it's you know, retailers have labs where they test stuff, and 
cases, it's they actually make investments. I mean, and, and we're seeing like BMW has a venture arm, and we've seen some of the great projects that they've been involved in, like Embark, for example, that Apple just acquired that we talked about the other. That was a BMW investment. Yeah. Right. So I think you know, expect more and more brands to step up like this. We at the LBMA, we you know, we're we're talking to brands right now, you know, in the same vein that we were we were working with Monolith, to say, let's go out, let's run an innovation program, let's find the right startups that are the right fit for your you, your brand, your company, your you know, your stores, whatever, uh, and let's you know, let's let's facilitate that. So, you know, that's a service that that we can we can do at the LBMA, and I think that we're going to see more brands step up and, and take that uh, initiative. Love it. 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven investing in Belly. You can go to bellycard.com if you want some more information about that. Um, and uh, investing with Andreessen Horowitz, $12.1 million. Yeah. Very cool. All right, those are the uh, six stories. Though That is our mobile minute, our app of the week, which is co-everywhere. Our guest, which is Nora Young. We got one last piece of business. Here's our resource of the week to see if the top 100 geospatial influencers on the planet Let's just add our name, shall we? Or are we not geeky enough to be on this list? <laughs> I'm going to say I'm not geeky enough to be on this list. I'm okay uh, but it, but it's cool. It, it's uh, it, it's just something I came across this week when I was like poking around, and uh, you know, the geospatial world is, you know, it's it's part of our ecosystem at the LBMA. It, um, you know, it's not really the marketing part of it, but yeah. it's 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 the big data geo data world. Uh, and if you're in that world and, and or, or you're concerned about that world, this is a list of people that you should be connected to and talking to. So uh, a great little resource here. And, and if, if you are part of the world and you're not on this list, maybe you should add yourself to the list. It's just a Google Doc, so get in there and uh, see what you can do. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Pretty simple. Uh, and obviously we'll have this uh, listed at uh, thelbma.com forward slash research, right? Yes, we will. And it's also you'll be able to find it on untether.tv. And remember, this is episode number 145. And for those of you counting, that's 145 consecutive weeks. Never missed one yet. Never missed one. All right, well, that's the show. We got uh, the six stories done. We got the resource done. We got everything done, man. That's it. And I know we had to toss a bunch even. So uh, for you out there who are listening, if you have a story, if you want something to be brought into this, we would love to hear it. Just like Tony did with uh, Co Everywhere when uh, he was transitioning from Block Avenue. I think we actually raked Block Avenue through the coals on one of, the, one of our episodes. And uh, he came back and said, yeah, yeah, don't worry. We're doing something different now. Tony, we there like what is. you're doing. We like what you're doing. So if you have something like that, if you'd like us to feature you guys, if you have an app that you think belongs in our app feature, if you want to be a guest, for goodness sake, reach out. It's the only way that we'll know about you if we haven't heard about you yet. So reach out, yes. Robert on Tether.tv or Asif at the LBMA.com, and we'll do it. We'll do it. And, we, it, and, it, and if you really like this show, yes. you, know, you know, throw us a few bucks. Sponsor the thing, right? You know, get bucks. on there. We're, we're looking for sponsors right now. So, bucks. Uh, you yeah. rich people out there, just sell a couple of bucks. Like, what is it going to kill you to sponsor a couple of hacks like us doing this, right? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. Yes. Who knows? Yes. This, I heard this location industry is going to be big. It's going to be big. Maybe JDS Uniface can step it up. Well, Here maybe. We maybe not after this show. <laughs> no. No. I think we've lost a couple of more yeah. sponsors after this show. Yeah. Lies. Yeah. Lies. Lies. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. Wherever you are, whatever you might be doing, we appreciate you bringing us into your ears each and every week. And uh, we love it. So please, leave us a good review. Leave us a comment. Send us an email. Interact with us. Do whatever it takes to reach us. We would love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week for episode number 146.